It's the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP. Now, here's Todd. And welcome once again to the program. Every year about this time, it's always fun. I, I, we talk stamp collecting, and uh, this has become somewhat of a tradition to have folks in from the Street Stamp Society to uh, chat not only about that as a hobby, but the reason we have them here is uh, their big stamp show is coming up, in fact, this weekend uh, on the 13th. It goes 9.30 to 5 at the Guy Cole Event Center uh, down in Squim. It's free admission, and we'll talk to uh, folks out there in a few minutes about why they may want to show up, even if they aren't uh, a stamp collector. I think there's a little something for everybody in there. We welcome uh, Bruce Halstead and Phil Castell, who are both uh, longtime members of the uh, society and longtime stamp collectors just the same. Thanks, guys, for coming in. Good to see you again. Thanks, Thanks both of you. Uh, Bruce, we'll start with you. Let's just talk a, a bit about the, the show. Uh, I guess maybe kind of you're, you're finally fully back again after <laughs> being a little bit hampered by COVID over the last couple of years. I know you've continued to try to do the show, but this year you're kind of back in full swing, it sounds like. Yeah, we did have a show last year, which was the first one after two-year hiatus. Right. So we're back on track, hopefully. And we've moved. We used to have it in the Masonic Lodge Hall, and we found uh, accommodations at the uh, Guy Cole Convention Center there to be more spacious, and we could mm-hmm. have more dealers and more room for people and more parking, and it's uh, worked out real well. So that's where we're at now. And this, the show, like you say, will be held August the 13th, which is a Saturday, 9.30 to 5. The mission is free. Uh, there's, uh, it's easy to find, uh, if you, especially if you're from the area. But we'll have signs up on the road pointing you in the right direction to get to the show. And we'll have uh, free stamps for children, which is take your pick on what a child is. <laughs> a child at uh, heart, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we don't get, seem to get that many children. Yeah. And we'll have a, a stream of door prizes uh, throughout the, the program. Uh, as you check in with, the, with us at the door, we'll sign you up and give you some tickets and keep half of it and you keep the other half of the ticket and we have all kinds of different uh, uh, door prizes white elephant stuff as well as Mm -hmm. stamp things Uh, we'll have a penny table which they they call a penny table it's thousands of stamps out there from around the world a penny a piece you take your pick Uh, we'll have the postal service will be there uh, with a cancellation of the the show with a uh, stuff and several dealers I think there's seven different dealers coming if I recall correctly, uh, from around the area. We'll have a snack bar, so if you're thirsty, hungry, uh, we don't cook anything, but there's goodies available. Sure. And it's sponsored by the Straight Stamp Society. The uh, stamp show, I mean, are a thing. I, I'm assuming they're still a thing. You guys are putting it on. Uh, this hobby continues, and that's kind of maybe what we'll, we'll, we'll start to get to. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people go, well, who... Who's using stamps these days, <laughs> like the uh, old collectors? But uh, there's still stamps to be collected. Oh, there are, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they're all self-adhesive now, right. at least in the United States, uh, which makes it difficult to collect uh, canceled stamps and mount them because uh, that self-adhesive stuff is really self-adhesive. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. hard to get off. So uh, officially now you can uh, have uh, canceled stamps in your album with the cutout with the, the paper back still on you know, there. And that's a good point, because years and years and years and years ago, I, d- I dabbled in stamp collecting, as you all probably know, because I bring this up every year. But that was a thing. You could not have the envelope attached to the stamp for it to be, I'll call it valid. I mean, it, some right. people did do that, but it, for it to truly be a worthwhile artifact, it had to be separated. That's right. 
That's not required anymore. You used to learn the art of steaming the stamps and all of those sorts of things as well. Um, Phil, uh, how hard is it to get stamps then uh, these days uh, that are are collectible? Very easy. I mean, the post office are always coming out with new designs. Uh, Just in the last two days or so, uh, the end of last week or even today maybe, they're coming out with some Buzz Lightyear stamps. So they've come out with Star Wars, with the droids and different things. Uh, The post office is really trying to gear things towards themes and uh, collectibles and uh, collecting by type of stamp so a lot of people collect Disney so we've had a lot of Disney stamps over the years so it's just they call it topical collecting some will collect trees or planes and different things so the US comes out with some uh, very desirable ones I know the next set of stamps coming out later this month is about the pony cars from the 60s uh, the high powered uh, barracudas Mm -hmm. and uh, things like this which there's plenty of in Squim this last weekend when they did the uh, show down there, uh, the car show. So the post office tries to make the things desirable where people will just pick up a sheet here and there and tuck it away. Uh, Not necessarily hardcore collectors. Uh, Hardcore collectors are out there. And the pandemic has really shown... um, the hobby has grown tremendously as people especially in initial lockdown were looking for things to do and they dug out their old stamp collection was in up in the attic or whatever and now people are older they've got more time and money on their hands so they're able to go back to those childhood pursuits whether it was stamps classic cars all kinds of collectibles are gaining traction and popularity um in today's society is there any fear i mean as the as the price of stamps goes up uh that that has an effect or maybe it's just the opposite as you just point out because people tend to then just gravitate to getting you know these collectibles if you will so let me give you a point of reference then so all the stamps sold today are forever stamps so in my collection at home i have plenty of sheets of mint stamps from the 70s, 80s, and 90s when they were 15 cents, 18 cents, 22 cents. And those today, if you're trying to sell them to a dealer, the most you can get is probably close to 50 or 60% of face value. Really? So they've been a terrible, terrible investment because if you want to put three 20 st- stamps on to get the current 60 cents, it takes a lot of effort because you've got to lick them as well. <laughs> yeah. So stamps today, as inflation grows, they'll still retain their face value Good and can always point. be usable. Very interesting yeah, as well. Um, Phil, I know that you, uh, you've sp- – tell me a bit about you. You kind of have a specialty that you dabble in uh, mostly. Tell and us how that's working. So, okay. Um, so one of my collections has been this uh, one postage stamp yeah, right. from Great Britain called the Penny Red. And it's from the 1840s through 1870s. And there are over 36,000 different identifiable plate varieties. And apparently last night, whilst I was snoozing in my chair, my wife was watching this TV show 
on whatever channel it was called Grace. It's an English show, an English yeah. police detective show. And they had postage stamps and they had penny reds. And she says, I didn't want to wake you up, but I've saved the epitomes. You've got to watch it. <laughs> so <laughs> penny reds is one of the vices in my blood. It's interesting, though, because as you pointed out, uh, you, on the face of it, most people say, well, that's just a stamp. But, yeah. you know, you, as you pointed out, it's got all of these variations. Different it's varieties. the finding these uh, plate problems exactly different things that happen over time will you always be in search of something i mean do you think you'll ever get to where you'll find every uh oh no 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 yeah it's a lifelong passion and in fact uh my goal right now i was just explaining to bruce and i explained to the stamp club on thursday is i'm recently retired and my goal is to divest myself of 80 percent of the collection that or should I say 80% of my accumulation <laughs> that I don't really want right. so I can then concentrate on what I do want to concentrate yeah. on. Get, on to the get, other get rid of the other stuff. <laughs> you know, it's the true about stamp, uh, and that's a little bit about uh, the stamp show. We'll kind of get into this as the accumulation part of it because there's a whole lot you bring in and so only so much that actually is usable at some point, and then you, you trade, and you turn looking for other places. Somebody else might need that thing that you have three of. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, one thing about the show, uh, a lot of times the stamp dealers love coming to Squim uh, because we get a different kind of clientele frequently. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we this will be our first year since pre-COVID, where we've got a good contingent coming down on the coho from uh, Canada. So we've got a sister stamp club over there in Victoria. And so we pick those up at the ferry. Frequently, we've been known to go to Shirley's Cafe because they like the trains going round and stuff (laughs) like that. So we go for breakfast before we go to the stamp show. But they literally bring a whole different kind of stamps to a show that you might not get. They do. On, on this side of the border. They then. do. Yeah. And uh, what they also bring that the dealers like is the wallets. Mm-hmm. So uh, the dealers like the Canadians coming down. And then the dealers also like people who walk into the show with material. Oh, this is my grandmother's collection. What's it worth? And the dealers are all there willing to take a look and give you a free appraisal. Uh, That's so, a good point then. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who come across a, a you know, relatively intact collection simply because it's been handed. It's an inheritance, if Correct. nothing else, and you have no idea what you're dealing with. Exactly. <laughs> so, know, so come down. There's seven or seven or eight dealers who will tell you what you've got and uh, probably make an offer for you, or get you inspired, and you'll just take that hobby on and go with it. Because <laughs> I think there's a lot of folks in your club that uh, that's a little bit of how they got started is that they kind of I'm not going to say they inherited, but they yeah. acquired perhaps somebody's beginnings of a of a stamp collection and ran with it. That's correct. Yeah, uh, Bruce, a little bit about you uh, and and what kind of what your your specialty is. What do you dabble in in your collection? Well, I'm uh, I'm retired also, like Phil. I retired a lot uh, earlier than he did, <laughs> but I'm a retired biologist. So living creatures, uh, plants, animals, fish, they all interest me. I have a wide uh, collection of, uh, I I collect worldwide. There's things of worldwide and local, such as the U.S., and I collect worldwide because uh, there's a a growing number of stamps from other countries around that uh, specialize in in their wildlife, Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. African nations. Uh, It's easy to find lots of stamps with wildlife on it from the African nations, somewhat in the in Europe and somewhat in Asia, but Africa is really rich 
with uh, wild animals. Are stamps more popular? I'll put that in quotes. In other countries, I mean, acquiring, for example, these types of things in Africa, are they are they more apt to be you know putting out more stamps? They are. Yes, it's uh, it's amazing that uh, some nations actually make somewhat of a living off of printing up stamps of their biota mm-hmm. of their nation and selling them around the world. Uh, I didn't realize what a big issue it was until we got into it today that we were talking about it the other night, that uh, they, they, they print all these fantastic stamps. They never use them themselves, but they, they're, they're still viable stamps, so they're, they're legal stamps, and they, they sell them around the world. I mean, what was it? Somebody said that if you had... Uh, all the stamps that were printed up uh, for the British possessions in the South Pacific uh, that would raise the level of the islands four inches. <laughs> so so it, it's out there. They're out there. It's, it's, and, uh, just to add on to what Phil said about finding stamps, uh, you can go on eBay, mm-hmm. and it's incredible the number of pages and pages and pages of stamps that are for sale. Uh, you won't have any trouble finding what you want, and they're f- relative. Most of them are relatively inexpensive. You can be a stamp collector and, and be penny poor, which is the way I am. Well, I think most people I've talked to that kind of ends up what they what they do as well. Is there a stamp you are seeking right now that is kind of like your 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 plum if you were to get it? No, I, I like them all. So okay, yeah. so you're you're not seeking the big kahuna, so to speak, at this point. No, I, I realize my funds are limited, uh, but yeah. uh, if I see one uh, that's nice and it's not too expensive, I'll grab it. But and that's I think that's a great joy in the hobby, then, isn't it? Oh, yeah, uh, it is, when yeah. you can just enjoy coming across what you come across. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, There's no rules. You don't have to have a, a goal out there. Yeah. Just play it by ear. Phil, and that's a, another question. I, you kind of answered that question because you do the penny rants, but yeah. <laughs> you're never going to find the, the one last one, right? But uh, um, how many do you have uh, in your collection? Of the penny reds? Yeah. I think I'm probably somewhere between thirteen and 15,000 different Wow, stamps. yeah, okay. <laughs> so quite a few. That's great. Uh, I, I always ask this, and how and Bruce alluded to this as well, how the Internet has kind of changed things, the trading part of this too with, with eBay and such. But isn't there – there's some value in coming to a show, though, still, and getting the, the, the face-to-face uh, where you could actually bring something in, get a, a fair appraisal, and also physically look at some of these stamps. Right, yeah, the, the dealers will have – bushels and bushels yeah. of stuff that they bring with them and uh, you, you you walk up to their table and say well what have you got for uh, Ukraine good example because uh, Ukraine doesn't have very many stamps mm-hmm. and you'd be amazed what uh, they'll shuffle around in their little folder boxes and stuff and say oh here here's 5,000 different stamps from Ukraine that you never thought you'd see before because I was looking on the internet the other day for stamps from Ukraine I wanted to do a display on it and there's just not very many out mm-hmm. there. But I guarantee you, if you come to the show and you want Ukraine stamps, somebody will have some at the show, even even whether yeah. you're, you're looking hard or not. And they're not very expensive because yeah. they're, they're, they're not rare because they, they, they're like our stamps. They're everywhere. Right. But there's not very many of them. I got a quick yeah. Ukraine, Ukraine story. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, two weeks ago, my son-in-law, Carlos, uh, came over to visit from Seattle, and he had a large envelope for me. It was from the Ukraine. And what had happened is he buys vinyl records, and he bought a record online, had no idea where he's buying it from, and he thought $20 for postage seemed high, but he wanted the record. And when it arrived... it 
came from the Ukraine and they'd been corresponding by right. email with the guy. Right. And the guy says, it may be a little delayed, but it, I, I will get it to you. And so I've got this beautiful cover now with, I think there must be 60 or 70 different stamps on it wow. uh, from the Ukraine um, from a war-torn country. That's a great story, actually. Oh, yeah. And you know what? That kind of illustrates a bit about the uh, the hobby too. Is that so many of uh, the, your collection? It's the stories that come along with yeah. the the stamps. And I mean, uh, it ranges. But I mean, there's there's. Um, I'm not going to say that you have a story for every fifteen to thirty thousand of your stamps, Bill. But you've got some in there. I'm sure. No, but I've been going through um, my accumulation, and I come across so many envelopes from people. I've met and known over the years in business sure. uh, who've gave, given me these or I've bought them. And it just brings back so many nice, warm memories of the relationships that I've had. And so part of going to the stamp show is the stamps, but part of it is the relationships and just finding fellow people who will understand and not fall asleep when you start talking. <laughs> it's a fascinating hobby. I don't do it, but I, I'm always fascinated because I've you know over the years we've had other members of the society sure. come in and, and talk about their collections, and they're, it's crazy. I mean, it's yeah. like I didn't know they made that many stamps about whatever that subject was. Uh, yeah. It's it's amazing. It is, yeah. Now, uh, one of the nice things about stamp collecting is the people you meet. Yeah, mm -hmm. I never would have met Phil. He never would have met me without the stamp collecting. There's, they're just out there everywhere. You come to the stamp show and everybody's helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a what we call a club table. So if people have questions, uh, they don't know what to do, they're milling around, they can come over to the club table and we answer their questions, point them in the right directions, whatever. And you can say that we have our own club table, but any any of the dealers, any of the folks out there that are from the stamp club that are always milling around are willing to help. It's just a fun fun people thing to do, to come to the stamp show and enjoy and maybe get a new interest. Yeah, this could be a start, which leads me to my next question. Maybe both of you can answer this, but what's your advice for somebody who might be thinking about starting in stamp collecting? What Where do you begin? Well, a good place to begin is the, is the stamp show. Uh, it depends, of course, on how much you want to spend. But the penny table is just a glorious place to begin because you can uh, pick out 100 stamps and pay a dollar. Mm -hmm. And then you can take those home if you want and, and look up on the Internet uh, stamp. Uh, what Where did the stamp come from? What are these symbols stand for on there? And it's all laid out on the Internet. You can all find it. It takes, it takes a little work. But once you get going, before you know it, you've got all these hunter stamps identified, and you, you're you either hooked or you say, oh, this is too much work. I'm not going to mess with it. <laughs> <laughs> and one tip I would get is, I just told uh, Bruce this story, is when I first started collecting, uh, and I said I was going to collect British Empire, an old stamp dealer said to me, well, if you've got a budget of $45, buy one stamp for excuse me, if you've got a budget of $50, mm -hmm. buy one stamp for $45, then buy a bag of junk for $5, because quality will always be quality, and crap will always be crap <laughs> even when it's old. That's so true. I remember way back in the day, I'd buy these bags of stamps, and there was just a lot of 
yeah. crap. Yeah. <laughs> but you felt like you were getting something exactly. really great. And you know what? I did find a few things in there. I do remember once in a while. The it was thrill like, of oh the my hunt. gosh, there the we go. The thrill of the hunt. That's, That's why we all uh, collect stamps. Exactly. So, all right. Uh, head on over uh, this weekend. If you get a chance, it should be a great day to go check out the straight stamp show. And as we, hopefully we pointed out, uh, you don't have to be engaged in this hobby. This is a great starting place. Or perhaps you have somebody in your family that, uh, you know, has you've acquired a uh, sure. stamp collection or whatever bring it bring it by the but guy also Cole just to Center. restate yep. we're at carrie blake park the vern Bert, the guy Cole center excuse me right. we're at the guy Cole center at uh, carrie blake park in squim not the masonic Bridge. right uh, all after all those years of being at exactly. the masonic somebody that's why i want to make sure we push that hard very good you'll be there from 9 30 to 5 this saturday and uh, free admission and uh, you can get a cancellation special cancellation Correct. if you want uh, as well right. which is always kind of cool thing stuff for kids and door prizes and all sorts of stuff. It's always fun to talk to you guys. Thanks for coming in. Thank and good luck talk. this weekend. Phil Castell, great Pre- to see you. And uh, likewise, Bruce Halstead, thank you for coming in and uh, have a Thanks great show this weekend. Sounds good. Thank all you right. much, Todd. We're going to take a break. Uh, we'll get into our next thing right after. Welcome back to the program. Time to turn things over to our own Amanda Bacon, where she sits down with some of the rich and famous and another of her bacon bits. This is the story of the king's nose. Hey, Bert. Yeah. Bert, yeah. come in yeah. here. Is everybody ready to start now? Oh, yeah. We're all pretty well set there, you Let's know. See. Hey, your costume looks really oh, nice. Thanks. I made the jewel myself oh, out of a sword. Okay, okay. Is everybody ready to go? Places, please. The story is about to start. Oh, okay. I, I better get going it's now. It's time now. Yeah, it's exciting, mm-hmm. huh? Okay. Oh, boy. Bye-bye. And now, the king's nose. Hmm. Once upon a time, there lived a king named Marvin the Magnificent. And everybody in King Marvin's kingdom agreed that King Marvin was truly magnificent. Sesame Street. I don't know about you, but I spent every afternoon of my childhood watching Sesame Street. I still, to this day, sing the jazz version of the alphabet song they taught me. And the song for crossing the crosswalk, I've got a new way to walk which was sung by pigs in leather tutus, classic. Not only did I love the large puppets and music, I loved the people on the show. And one of those people was Sonia Manzano, known to all of us as Maria. When I got word that I was going to have a few minutes with Sonia, I was beyond excited. The day of the interview came and I said my hello. When she responded and I heard her voice say my name, well, I got very emotional, as you will hear. Hearing a voice from my childhood brought back so many memories, like the super dry peanut butter and jelly sandwich my grandma bacon would make me while I watched the show. I would give anything to have her be able to make me a sandwich again. Maria, I mean Sonia, is a 15-time Emmy winner for her work in television. For 44 years, she taught kids kindness, how to bring books to life, and that it was okay to be sad. She now has a new novel out, entitled Coming Up Cuban, Rising Past Castro's Shadow. I hope you enjoy my interview with one of my heroes, Sonia Manzano. Good morning. Good morning, Amanda. How are you? 
the fact I'm like getting choked up right now. The fact that I get to hear your voice say my name is just incredible. You are like the biggest part of my childhood. Oh, <laughs> I thank you so much for saying that. And but I off I really wish I didn't make people cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, what an incredibly beautiful human you are. Thank and you. Um, first of all, thank you for the decades that you spent teaching the children how to count, how to love, how to read, how to know right from wrong. I mean, just thank you for all of that from millions of us. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for for saying for for your kind words. I was happy to fall into this remarkable group of artists, uh, Jim Henson and Mm -hmm. I and John Stone and Dulce, you know, and Joe Raposo and all of those original idealistic uh, 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 people who created a show when America was a more idealistic place, which was civil rights movement. And uh, and so Sesame Street was part of that. And I got swept up in it, uh, as mm. you know, for for good for good reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. And now, I mean, this is the great thing is that you've done you've done all of this education aspect. You're, you're an educator actually. And now you've got this novel that all of us who grew up watching you and loving you. Now we can actually read your words and still stay in touch with you, which I think is fantastic. So let us talk about your new novel coming up Cuban rising past Castro's shadow. What prompted you to write this book? Well, first let me, uh, uh, remind people that I am not Cuban, that I'm Puerto Rican, New Yorkan. Actually, I was born in mm-hmm. in uh, New York City. My own relatives are coming up to me and saying, "Gee, I always thought you were Puerto Rican," uh, <laughs> because of the title of this book. But what prompted me to write this book was a silly little story. I was at a cocktail party, and an American citizen said to me that in 1959 his parents had a chicken farm in Cuba. Castro came in; they had to skedaddle out. And they had to leave their belongings, the chicken farm, and the family dog behind. A few months later, a few months later, the dog shows up in a boat in Miami and the family is (gasps) reunited. (laughs) Stop it. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding. This is a true story. And it was a book party and there were a lot of authors around. Five authors took out their notepads to note down this (laughs) premise. Because it's such an interesting idea. So I thought I'll be first. I'm going to write a little picture book about a dog finding his way home and give me the opportunity to, you know, do a Latin culture yeah. little picture book about a dog. But when I looked, when I read more about the revolution to get my facts right, I just fell into this, this rabbit warren of information that just fascinated me of uh, of rebels who Castro turned on immediately and their families had to leave of children who were sent to Miami alone because they thought Castro would was going to indoctrinate them and then I started thinking well what happened to kids who stayed well I read about that and how they were affected by the Brigadista program which was a reading program and and the militarization of, of, of certain schools and, you know, teaching kids to be revolutionaries and all this kind of stuff that Castro did. So I realized, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 
uh, um, one social upheaval affected four different kids who were different from each other, white, black, rich, and poor kids in different ways. And I thought I had to tell the story through Ana, Miguel, Sulema, and Huang's eyes in order to give a full picture. And that's only four. There's like a hundred billion more stories, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're probably roughly accurate on that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What prompted you to write it now? Well... It's, truth be told, you're you know you get a book published whenever you're lucky enough to get a publisher like Scholastic <laughs> interested in your work who wants to publish it. Yeah. But I think the stars were aligned in that it it, it, it does seem to be a timely book, and uh, I think that we uh, are are certainly letting kids down. We can't uh, protect them in schools as we should or as well as we should. We can't help them get to community colleges, or we can't you know help them with their school loans. We can give them stories or I can give them stories. And and when you read stories about kids who prevail social upheavals, they'll think if Anna did that and got past <laughs> Fidel Castro, I can deal with my issues here in the sixth grade uh, because stories empower you when you put yourselves, when you see the world through somebody else's lens. It helped me get through my problems when I was a kid. And I think that uh, uh, this book will help uh, kids kind of, or at least get some comfort and get a relief from their problems. Yeah, I I think it's always important for kids to see that there are, excuse me, that there are other people, not just kids, honestly, adults too, that there are other people out there just like them Yeah. Um, that have the same hurts, fears, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Because I think sometimes in this world we can feel very alone. And I think it's incredible that you took four kids, all different backgrounds, and really broadened that audience. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, all the kids uh, do prevail, as I said, because that is the nature of uh, YA novels. An adult novel, it could be like life is terrible and then you die, and but then it's a bestseller. But uh, that's a fun read. That's a fun read, but not a YA, as you know. So I hope that there's a lot of humor in this. I try to uh, to in, insert um, uh, humor in it as well because I I kind of look at the world uh, from a humorous point of view. How yes. can I not? Uh, you have to. You have to, and that's kind of... And Cubans have a wonderful sense of humor. I yeah. uh, had a... There's one character in the book named Comico, and he tells a lot of knock-knock jokes, and my Cuban <laughs> advisor said, what, knock-knock jokes? We don't know what that is. That's not Cuban at all. And then she sent me a book of Cuban revolutionary jokes. And oh. and it was hilarious. I mean, the new, some of the nuances I didn't get because of my Spanish, but they uh-huh. were hilarious. And I and I thought, of course, this tipo uh, cubano, this 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 Cuban sensibility, is coming through the jokes. You know, like Jewish people are well known for the Jewish humor because mm-hmm. of their persecution. Well, these Cuban uh, people, there are jokes I put. A lot of them, those jokes in the book too, and and also through Juan, who's Afro-Cubano, uh, I got a chance to touch about Santeria and those religious beliefs that come from Africa, and the idea that Cubans are black and white and uh, you know and indigenous and uh, yes, 
Yeah, uh, like all Caribbean people. Wow. Well, is the book out now? Yes. Uh, its release date was uh, Tuesday, the 2nd, and uh, it it is out, and I, I truly hope people enjoy it. I don't think there's a way that we couldn't enjoy it. Um, you also are involved in TV still with Alma's Way, correct? Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Alma's Way is uh, an animated show. We just got greenlit a couple of days ago for our second season. Alma lives in the South Bronx. It's uh, sort of like where I was raised, only updated. And uh, like I said, Sesame Street came out of the 1960s. Uh, I always think children's programming should look at what's around, what American kids are going through and address Mm -hmm. that. And I Mm -hmm. noticed that a lot of kids are tested. They have to memorize they're in overcrowded classrooms. They have to learn everything at the same moment as their peers. Uh, so kids haven't changed, but what we expect of them has changed. Yeah. We want them to have kindergarten in front of a computer for five hours a day, which is <laughs> remarkable. So Alma's Way is about thinking. I want kids to know you can think. Maybe you can't pass the test and maybe you can't memorize and maybe you can't sit in front of this computer all day. But you can think so Alma's Way has a little thought process moment in every episode where she gets into a jam and she figures her way out of it because we all have a mind and I don't want kids to be turned off to thinking before they uh, get into the joys of it yeah well God bless you thank you so much Uh, you have no idea what talking to you has meant to me thank you for everything that you have done for so many people. Thank you, Amanda. You're very kind. I appreciate it. Can you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame Street? 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 This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP. And finally this afternoon, when you think of fly fishing, you probably think of a remote river in Colorado, maybe one in Montana. Anyway, away from the hustle and bustle of any cities. But in the heart of one of America's biggest cities, some fishermen are reeling in their lines in one of the most unique environments, the Los Angeles River. Well, it used to be a river, at least. It's now a concrete-lined channel that serves as a sewer for the city. And that's where we find Alex Stone on his quest to find sewer salmon or dumpster dolphin as the fish in the river have become known. The sun is coming up right now, Lino, Uh and we are standing overlooking the L.A. River. Yes. And I think a lot of people are going to say, wait, the L.A. River, isn't that that concrete drainage basin that goes through through L.A.? Meet Lino Jubilato, an L.A. River fly fisherman. This is where he catches his fish. He's here several times a week along the freeway. I used to come down here and fish all the time when, when it was actually fenced off like it was closed to the public and my uncle used to like certain sections down in that water he would cut a hole in the fence and that's how we got in 
Years ago, it became legal to fish in the L.A. River. The fences came down, but everybody has to do it at their own risk. Just kind of work your way out here slowly. The shopping carts all over. This is rocky here, so just be careful. The water and the shoreline are littered with hidden shopping carts, rusted underneath, clothing, beer cans, everything you can imagine that would be dumped into a storm drain in the street makes its way here. Even looking right here as the sun comes up, an old shirt. I don't know what that is. Oh, yeah. Some pants. Underwear, it looks like. Oh, yeah. Like I said, you could you could put together a full wardrobe in this spot. He's actually not kidding about that. He went out with a female angler a while back fishing the L.A. River, and the carp they pulled up had a woman's bra covering its eyes. It was, the, it was so hysterical because this bra was covering the face of the carp, and it just quit. But it didn't end there. And it was a purple bra. So, you know, that was funny. We laughed. And a couple of months later, I'm fishing over here. And I catch the matching panties. What are the odds of that? A purple? Go. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> he says it actually was the matching part of that set, but he has also found more gruesome things in the river. Well, the saddest thing I've seen is, uh, you know, for years, every time I would get snagged onto something, I would jokingly say, oh, my God, I hope it's not a body, you know. But one one year, I was out here with my brother, and, and I, I turn around, and I'm like, kind of thought I saw something looks like a body i'm like no way then i realized oh my god it is so i ran over to make sure i thought maybe they were okay you know fell or something and but it ended up to be a a body yeah it was it was pretty sad and so lino agreed to take me out fly fishing he'll take just about anybody out to show them fishing and show them the la river a big smile on his face he wants to show the hidden gems that he finds in this water so i put on waders and we venture out into the river, dodging shopping carts and old cans of just about everything in the water. Oh, stinky. At points, it reeks of terribly strong methane gas between what's been put in the water and what grows in it. Walking in the water kicks up the gases trapped in the algae, putting off a putrid smell of rotten eggs. We're going to come out just a little bit here. There's fish right here in front of us. Wow. Using his fly fishing rod, Lino loves to teach, and that's what he does for me, teaching me the basics of fly fishing and letting me try to catch one of the massive carp in this water. They can be 20 pounds or more here. He is routinely pulling out big fish using the fly rod and tiny flies that he makes at home. Oh, that was a big one that just jumped out of there. All around us as we're standing in the water, giant carp are swimming by our feet. They're jumping out of the water as dumpster dolphins, as Lino calls them but they're not biting his fly. We tried for six hours. There were a couple of nibbles, but not much else. Unfortunately, there are more days like this than not. So it just makes the days when you actually catch something so rewarding. Um, yeah. But that's true for any species, you know? Set, 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 set. You on? You on? I don't think, I don't oh. think anything's there. Oh, no. For Lino, it's about showing anybody who's interested what it's like to fish the L.A. River. Even Jimmy Kimmel found him and had him take him out on the water. It's something I never dreamed I'd be doing, standing in the flood basin that I drive along every morning and watching fish swim by. It's nice just to be out, you know, in that anticipation of hooking on to something, especially in this river, that it's just going to keep you coming back. Do you ever have days that you're out here and you think... This is crazy, or is it beautiful every day that you're out here? Every day. This is my favorite time of day right now, the morning. It's gorgeous. Um, yeah, and I and I come out here in the afternoons, too. It's just, um, I mean, just listen to this. It's how, how peaceful it is. It's, it's so nice. 
you know, in the moments when the on the freeway when you don't have to hear hear that motorcycle in the background, it's like, you know, you, you thought you would think you're in just any river. I'm Alex Stone, ABC News, along the LA River. This is the Todd Ortloff Show on News Radio KONP.